Bless the Lord this morning. Get your Bibles out. I hope you enjoyed worship. Worship prepares us for the Word. Amen? Come on, I said worship prepares us for the Word. So how are you this morning? Are you ready for the Word? Amen. You ready, Ray? All right. Tighten up your chin strap. We are in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, and we preached through Ephesians chapter 5, the blueprint for Christian conduct. We've learned a lot of what the Lord has for us as Christians and how we should behave. We said conduct is important because many people are looking at us who claim to be Christians and are saying, you know what, I want to see what, how Christians behave because I'm deciding what I think about Christ. So that's a heavy, it's a heavy thing for us to have because all of us know we're far from perfect. And a lot of us would just say, please, don't judge Jesus according to the way I am. I'm a work in progress. Anybody a work in progress? Amen. Uh, anybody think they're completed? We're going to take you out back and stone you if you do. But the blueprint here, giving us the conduct that points to Christ, and we got into Ephesians chapter 6, and now we're talking about the armor of God and understanding this is a, a, a spiritual uh, picture of how God wants to clothe us so that we can be effective in the spiritual battle. Whether we know it or not or realize it or not or are aware of it or not, we are in a spiritual battle. There's a battle that rages for the souls of men. We have an enemy that is tactful and tries to trip us up every chance he gets. And God has given us armor to protect us. Last time we were together, we talked about being properly clothed for battle. We said, you've got to dress for success. If you want to be successful at something, you need to put the right clothes on, right? You wouldn't put your tennis outfit on to catch a baseball game. Come on, second service. You wouldn't put it under, you know, one of those big scuba diving suits with the helmet. Anybody seen pictures, watch movies, right? You wouldn't put that on to, you know, like go fishing, hopefully. So you got to wear the right clothes, amen? If you show up at a job and, you know, you got a three-piece suit on and you're a construction worker, you might want to go home and change. So dressing for success, wearing the right clothes, being properly clothed. We learn that God's armor works together as a system to protect us. It's not that, you know, we have the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit and the breastplate and the helmet and all that stuff. And you can't just pick and choose. Well, I don't like the helmet. It's too heavy, so I'm not wearing it. You can't do that. Well, I I like the sword of the spirit, but I'm not into shields. No, it all works together in concert as a system to protect us. So each of us have to learn how to wield the sword of the spirit. What's that? That's the word of God. That means we need to get enough word in us that we can can use that sword to repel the attack of the enemy. Amen? Amen. Every one of us need to develop faith. Why? Because it's our faith that quenched the fiery darts of the enemy. And what does he do? He shoots these arrows at us that if he can penetrate us, he knocks our faith down and he's got us beat. So the armor works together as a system. We also learned our enemy is a schemer. He studies us, he looks for our weaknesses, and he attacks those weaknesses. All of us have weaknesses, amen? All of us have areas where we're strong and where we're weak. We said in football, the the coaches would say, don't hit a guy where he can bench past 315 pounds, hit him where he can't do a sit-up, Right? Where he's weak, find the weakness, hit the weakness, exploit the weakness. That's what our enemy does. We learned also that God expects his people to stand against the evil of their day. Every generation has to face the darkness that 
tries to push back the light. And we talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great German preacher who stood against the Nazi uh, movement in Germany and was you know, driven out of Germany. Many pastors in Germany would not speak against the state. Lutheranism was a, a state-run religion, and they, they were silent, and they wouldn't criticize, and they sat back behind the pulpits as the Nazis incinerated six million Jews. Yet some of them would speak up, and some of them would risk life and limb to preach the truth, and they were banished, they were jailed, they were martyred. So God expects us to stand up against the wickedness of our generation. Pastor, can I just hide? Just can I, you know, circle the wagons? Can I just live in the mountains and everybody leave me alone? Can't you do it, Pastor? Can't we hope God raise somebody up to do it for us? No, each of us need to stand against the darkness. Come on, second service, say something. Amen. So our text here is quite interesting in Ephesians 6. I want to read it to you. Uh, Ephesians 6, I'm going to read 14 through 17. It says this, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So let's stop right there. There is a great picture of all the components of the armor. They work together in concert. But as we look here, we're gonna start just with verse 14 and it says this, stand firm having gird up your loins or belted your waist with truth. Now find it interesting that the first piece of armor listed here is a belt. Anybody? Anybody give much thought to the belt you're wearing this morning? Did you pick out a belt last night and then build your ensemble around it? <laughs> Come on, you know, like I got this really nice belt. What pants are gonna go with that belt? Amen? No, you don't do that. You put all the stuff on that's not wrinkled, whatever you can find, and then you throw a belt on. It's kind of an afterthought. It's kind of an accessory in our mind, amen? Yet this whole system starts off with a belt. Now, most of us wouldn't have reached for a belt first. Can I hear an amen? How about, I mean, I would have went for the sword first. Anybody? I want to play with that. I want to run around the house with it. I want to have my wife yell at me to put it down. I would have grabbed the shield maybe, Pastor Mike. You know, try this out. See how heavy it is, you know. Do my best Leonidas impression. I'm working hard up here. You can make some noise. But I wouldn't have went for the belt first. And most of us wouldn't, even though, you know, you're in a catatonic state right now, you wouldn't have went for the belt. You would have went for something else. Yet God starts with the belt. And you might think, why in the world do you start with a belt, God? This is kind of weird. It seems like an accessory to us. It doesn't seem like a significant piece of the armor. It's not the thing we would reach for first. But if we understand the clothing of the day, it gives us insight to why the belt had to be first. Now, everyone wore undergarments and outer garments that were basically like dresses. Now, those of you who've been to the play before, you Roman soldiers, Tony, right? You know, you wore that thing. It's kind of like foot loose and fancy free in that dress, isn't it? You know, you're wearing a, basically a dress. So if you know about the priestly garment, the linen ephod, it was just a long, basically, you know, from neck down to your legs, kind of like a, a one-piece woven dress. Now, ladies, you get the whole dress thing. Guys, you shouldn't get the dress thing. 
In fact, if you do, we, we need to have counseling and prayer, and we'll we can take care of that. But ladies get the dress thing. Guys don't get it and shouldn't get it. But the truth is this. Unless you girded up your loins and belted those, basically those robes, those dresses at the waist, you were not nimble and you were not, you know, uh, fit for battle. You, you know, you wouldn't play basketball in that thing. You wouldn't run on the battlefield in that thing. It would be the wrong attire. So, you know, the scripture says what? That we had to gird up our loins and put on the belt of truth. Now, anybody gird up their loins this morning? Hopefully you did. You're wearing underwear. (laughs) That's what this is basically saying. Put on your Holy Ghost jockey shorts and gird up your loins. Why? Because you're wearing a dress and you're not fit for athletic activity right now. So you got to gird up those loins and then belt those garments in the middle and and lock it down so now that, you know, if you didn't do that, you would feel slow and you would feel clumsy and you would feel vulnerable on the battlefield. And so you, you had to start with a belt because the bottom line is we are not fit to fight in a dress. Now, there used to be a show on TV called MASH. Who remembers that? And there was a guy on that show named Klinger. Who remembers him? Let's take a look at Klinger this morning briefly. Klinger wore dresses. And he would do that. Why? You know, when I was a kid, I would watch this, and I'd be like, this guy's crazy. But if you understand the show, he didn't want to be in Korea. He didn't want to fight in a war. So he put on a dress to show that he was unfit for battle psychologically. Take him away because we're going to all need counseling if you don't. But he got it, the fact that a dress is not the proper attire for the battlefield. And so he didn't wear that thing. He wore it to get out of his duty rather than to do his duty. Amen. And those of us who remember that show, we kind of get it now. There's spiritual implications there. Why? Because you and I can't fight in a dress. You and I need to gird up our loins and belt our waist so that we're fit for the battlefield, amen? Whether we like it or not, the fight is going on, so we might as well be effective out there. Can someone say amen? So here we are talking about a belt, and what the belt represents is the fact that when we're girded up and when we're belted up, we're nimble, we're skillful, and we're dangerous on the spiritual battlefield. And that's saying this, to the degree which we possess and apply the word of God to our lives, that's how the truth of God is gonna help us to be safe on the battlefield, amen? Look, Christian, it's not enough just to know about this. I've known plenty of people who know this, but they don't live it. It's not enough to be a hearer of the word. We've got to be doers, amen? You know who knows the word better than all of us? The devil. The devil knows the word better than all of us. He can quote it better. He remembers it better. He uses it against us. He twists it. What did God say? Surely you will not die. God just wants you to, you know, not be as good as him. So he twists and he, he takes the word of God and he mixes half-truths with it. We have got to do more than just hear the word and know the word. We have actually got to live the word, amen? And truth is something every one of us need in our lives. Now, I want to talk about truth and give you three points about it this morning. And the first point is this in the shape of a question. Where can we find the truth? It's a relevant question because there's a lot of people out there who are saying, well, I got the truth or I know the truth. Our world just says, well, that's your truth. This is my truth. 
Listen, Hollywood. Listen, talk show TV host. Listen, empty-headed guru headed for hell. There is no your truth and my truth and this truth and truth in the West and truth in the East. There is the truth. And until, see, our generation doesn't like absolutes. Why? Because then it puts a demand on us to, to face the truth and measure our lives up against the truth. And then we come up wanting and need to repent and make changes. But listen, I could say all day long that this chair is pink. This is a pink chair. See it, John? Don't you see it? It's pink, John. You're not helping me out. It's not pink. It's teal. This is teal. Look, a man shouldn't even know what the color teal is. But this is a teal chair. I could scream all day long that this is a pink chair and it's not a pink chair. Well, that's my truth. Listen, your truth is not the truth and it's going to wind you up in hell. There is one truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. We need to know where to find the truth. Now, Romans 3, 4 says something pretty interesting. It says, let God be true and every man be a liar. Well, that's an interesting verse, isn't it? Because it leaves all of us in the position of, well, I'm not God, so I must be a liar. In fact, let's do a humility check here today. How many liars do we have at Full Gospel Center this morning? You raise your hand in the front row. You lions. See, if you didn't raise your hand, you're a stinking liar, amen? Because all of you have lied, and I've lied, and we, we, if we're back into a corner, some of us will lie. How does the dress look? It looks good. How does the food taste? It's wonderful. The Bible says it plainly, let every man be a liar. Why? Because men lie. But God tells the truth every time, all the time. And I want us to look at this. The fact that Romans 3, 4 speaks to us and says, let, every man be, uh, let God be true and every man be a liar means that we will not find truth in the world system. If you're looking at worldly wisdom and business wisdom and business models and marketing and, and man's, you know, man is so enamored with his own intelligence. You know, we can do this and we can build that and we can make a vaccine. <laughs> Listen, uh, God can send a plague that there is no vaccine for, amen. So let's just thank God for his grace upon us, amen. But our, our worldly intelligence, our worldly wisdom, our worldly ability is limited and capped. So you're not going to find, you know, truth in the world system. You'll find bits and pieces of truth, but you won't find all truth. You're not going to find it in the wisdom of men. Oh, forget about materialism. Forget about business. Forget about money. You know, it's all about spirituality and, and platitudes and proverbs and wise sayings and, you know, uh, becoming one with the universe. Listen to me. You're going to find bits and pieces of truth in every religious system, but nobody has all truth. Jesus is the truth. God is the truth. And you're not going to find it in the world. You're not going to find it in man's wisdom. I'm going to shock you here. You're not even going to find truth in your own opinions and experiences. Many of us think, well, hey, pastor, you know, I, I've been around the block, and I'm worldly wise, and now I'm a Christian, and, and I'm really smart, too. You know, let me tell you how smart I am. You know, I figured this out, and I figured that out, and I got a little degree and a diploma. And, said, and you know what? All the experience that I've had, I've been around the block. And so my experiences become truth for me. 
Let me tell you something. Our experience are limited. They are, you know, they're, they're not a big case study. You know, things I thought were true in my 20s, in my 50s now, I know that's not true anymore. Things I believe, things I felt. How many people, as you've grown, as you've matured, your idea of what was true or what was right or, or, or what was the way to spend your time in life or the way to treat people, how many say, I, I've changed? So our experiences won't, our experience, well, I got a lot of experiences. Yeah, and you know, they're, they're, all, they're all good and they all teach us something, but they are not the source of truth for us. Our opinions aren't, our experiences aren't. Man's wisdom isn't and the world's system is not. There is one pure, flawless fountain of truth and that is God himself. God is truth. I didn't say God has the truth. I didn't say God knows the truth. I said God is truth. He's the creator. He's the definer of creation. He is the fountain and the source of truth. One of God's divine attributes, a divine attribute is something that's always true about God, is that he's truth. He, it's not that, well, God will tell us the truth. He is the truth. As he reveals himself to us, we see the truth. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But listen to Psalm 31.5. Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, Lord God of truth. That phrase there, Lord God of truth, that the psalmist spoke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in the Hebrew, it's El Emet, and it means Lord God of truth. So one of the names of God is Lord God of truth. He is truth. He is the source of truth. Listen to Psalm 146, five through six. Happy is he that has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in therein, who keeps truth forever. Did you hear what the psalmist said? Not only is God truth, but he keeps truth. Let me tell you why this is important for us. Because many people will question the truth of the gospel, the truth of scripture, the truth of Christianity, the truth of the resurrection. And God is basically basically saying to his people, I am the keeper of truth. That means I'm able, because I'm God, to get you the truth in your hand so that you have the truth and that it can do what it needs to do in your life. Our God is big enough to deliver us 66 books filled with truth so that we have a blueprint for living, amen? I believe that with every fiber of my being. People say, well, the Bible's this and the Bible's that and it's full of contradictions and they've never read it. Listen to me, the Bible is the most incredible book and I guarantee you it is the word of God. I dare you to apply it to your life and say to me that it doesn't work. This is the truth and it comes from God because he's the keeper of truth. So God is truth himself. What else do we need to know? The whole Trinity is involved here. The Holy Spirit reveals God's truth to us. You say, Pastor, I know there's truth out there, and I know God is true, and I know his word is true, but you know what? I have a hard time getting that truth and applying it to my life. Well, thank God that us believers have the Holy Spirit in our lives to get that process done. Listen to John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, look, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. Why? Because he carries the truth of God to us. Listen to this. He will guide you 
into all truth. He will not speak of his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. So the Holy Spirit is the connection between the Father, who is truth, and the people of God, who need the truth. Now, how do we have a relationship with the Father? Only through Jesus Christ. Do you see how the whole Trinity is involved here? Jesus said, if you have me, you have the Father. You know, we we have to have Christ before we can be connected to the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, and he's given to us as a gift to lead us into all truth. How many people are not too smart? No, don't raise your hand. But did you ever feel like, man, I'm not even smart enough to understand the truth? That's where the Holy Spirit kicks in. He gives us the truth and he teaches it. He leads us into it so we can understand it and we can apply it. How do we find the source of truth? It's in God. He is truth. How do we uh, get the truth revealed to us? The Holy Spirit does it. And the last thing I want to talk about when we're talking about finding the truth is this. It's the timeless word of God that confirms the truth. Listen, if the Father speaks to us, and he reveals things to us by the Holy Spirit, whatever we think we've heard has to pass through this. Amen? Oh, you know, God told me, you know, to quit the ministry and live up in the mountains and leave my wife and family behind. And no, God didn't tell you that. God, I've had people, God told me to leave my spouse and run away with this. No, God didn't tell you that. Because you can't tell me God told you anything that contradicts the word of God. This is the filter. This is the standard. This is what we're going to live by, right? Because this is the written word of God revealed to us. So notice how all of this, like the armor, works in concert together. The Holy Spirit's like, Rick, no, like this is the truth you need. And he's revealing it to me. And then I find it. He brings me to it in the word, and I find it in the word. And you begin to read scripture, and it leaps off the page, and it comes alive. Why? Because it's absolutely relevant to what you're going through. And, the, and the, the filter, the scripture proves that what I heard was the truth from the Holy Spirit. Now I can apply it to my life and find the blessing of God. Where can we find truth? God is truth. The Holy Spirit reveals it to us, and the word of God filters it for us. Let's look at the second point here from this text. We're to be girded with truth. We're to have our loins girded. We're to be belted up so we're ready for battle. What does the truth do for us? You know, anything that we are obtaining spiritually, we need to know why God wants us to have it. You know, God just doesn't give us stuff and say, you know, here, put this in your backpack. Why? Because, you know, I didn't want to carry it. No, God gives us stuff to use because it's important and it's productive and he needs us to have it. So what does the truth do for us? Very simply, John 8, 32 encapsulizes it in a nutshell. It says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, church, the truth brings freedom to the people of God. Well, I'm in bondage, I'm stuck, I'm still full of sin, I'm in pornography, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck on alcohol. The truth of God will bring freedom to our lives. When we can see that we don't need any of those things, but what we need is more of him. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You know what I like to do with scriptures? I like to run them in reverse. Because sometimes when you run them in reverse, you can understand the application better. What's the reverse application of John 8.32? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Well, the opposite of that is if I don't know the truth, I'm going to stay in bondage. 
If I don't know the truth, I'm not going to be free. I'm still going to be chained up by the things that bound me. And so we need to run Johnny 32 in reverse. If we're stuck, if we're in bondage, we need truth to set us free. Not knowing God's truth keeps us stuck in the chains of bondage. Now, you know what? You might say, well, I have small pieces of the truth. Is that enough? You know, sometimes a little piece of the truth can really get us in trouble. In fact, Klein Snodgrass in his book, Between Two Truths, wrote this tale illustrating the dangers of just having a piece of the truth. He said, one day the devil was walking along with one of his demons, and they saw a man up ahead of them, and the man bent over and picked up something shiny off the ground. What did he find, said the demon? A small piece of the truth, said the devil. The demon said, doesn't it bother you that he has a piece of the truth? Not at all, said the devil. I'll see that he makes a religion out of it. You see, when you have partial truth or half truth or a fragment of the truth or just one piece of the truth, and you make that the centerpiece of something and build it around half truths and lies, it's not the truth anymore. Small pieces of the truth won't save us. Small pieces of the truth won't bring us freedom. But the truth, the complete truth, nothing but the truth from God is what brings liberty to the captives. Not saying we have to know everything and know every doctrine and, know, and have, you know, and it's intelligence and it's intellect and it's being able to, you know, pass a test at the pearly gates. Sit down for your test to see if you know enough to get in. Thank God it's not that. But the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. So if we have Jesus and we're in the Father and we have access to the Spirit, we have the truth that we need, amen? Amen. But a piece of the truth is not enough. You know, I've sat with so many uh, young Christian couples and just newly saved people, and, and, you know, listening to what they think is true or what they think is, you know, the proper way to live sometimes is stunning to us. You know, I sat with a couple one time who was living together, they were unmarried, they were newly kind of saved, and, you know, the couple began to express to me that they had, you know, basically a volatile relationship, and, and I'll just say it this way, terrible intimacy in their relationship. You know, there was no Barry White going on. Just take a second on that. And the, and the person, they said to me, we don't know why it's like this way, and I, why won't God bless us? And I said, maybe that relationship isn't blessed because you're not supposed to have it. Jaws hit the table, eyes got wide, and the light went on. And they realized, how can God bless something we are not supposed to have? The Bible says there's one proper expression for sexuality, and that's within marriage. If you're not having a good time with that outside of marriage, it's because you're not supposed to be doing it. And the light went on, and you know what? They they repented and they got married and all of a sudden the the fruit of their relationship began to blossom and God began to bless them and everything solved itself because the truth will set us free. And what our generation needs is not more spineless preachers watering down the truth. We need some people who will stand up and tell the truth in love so that people can get blessed and free. We have an unchurched generation doesn't seem to know the commandments of God, doesn't have a biblical foundation or a biblical worldview. They don't don't believe in sin. They don't acknowledge there's a hell to be avoided and a heaven to be gained. 
That's the world we live in. As a pastor and as Christians with our friends and our family who are unsaved, it's a bare-knuckle fight just to break through to the place where we're sinners and need a savior. You know, my grandparents' generation, just a few generations ago, you didn't have to argue with them to get to the starting point. Now, I'm not saying they didn't do all kinds of sin, but they knew it was wrong. You didn't have to argue with my grandparents' generation that living together was wrong, that cheating on your spouse was wrong, that fornication, pornography, homosexual activity was wrong, being a drug user was wrong, being a drunk was wrong. They knew it was wrong. Our generation is like, well, that's Monday. You see where we're at? Do you see how the devil has just systematically attacked the foundations so that we have to fight just to get to the starting point of we're sinners in need of a savior. Now, it's just amazing. People will argue with you and, and, you know, nothing is wrong and how dare you suggest something that I enjoy is a sin. We live in a very, very tough time. God wants us to know the truth and to see what it does for us. What it does is it brings us out of bondage and it brings us into freedom. We'll know the truth and it sets us free. Last point I want to cover with you this morning is this. I want to ask you another rhetorical question. What happens when the truth is categorically rejected? And you say, Pastor, why would you ask, answer, ask us a question like that? Because the Bible warns us that that's exactly what's going to happen. The Bible warns that a time is coming when the people of God, just like the world, will have no tolerance or desire to hear the truth. In fact, we're seeing some of that in our generation now. The Laodicean church is being formed. 2 Timothy 4, 2-4 says this. Paul speaking to Timothy. Paul, the master preacher, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Timothy, a young minister, Paul is giving him... Uh, you know, advice and counsel on how to conduct his ministry. This is what the master says to the student. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Okay, good. But why? Verse 3 tells us. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Did you hear that this morning, Full Gospel Center? The Bible's real clear. It's not going to get better before it gets worse. And we see this in our generation already. Well, if you talk about that or you preach about that or you let the Holy Spirit move in your service, I'm out of here. Pastor, don't you dare do that. Don't you dare talk about that subject, that hot-busting issue. I'll walk right out of the church while you're preaching. Good, I'll stop preaching and hold the door for you. But listen, we're gonna tell the truth around here, amen, whether it's comfortable, whether it's convenient. And those of you who have been here for any length of time, God bless you, you've survived. And you love the truth, and God loves you for it, and he can bless your lives because of it. But understand something here today. There will come a time where people don't want to hear the truth. You know this. You talk to your friends about certain issues. Oh, shut up about that. You Christians are so narrow-minded. You look through a keyhole with both eyes. Well, I'd rather be a fool in the eyes of man than a fool in the eyes of God. 
And please, God, don't let me be a man pleaser. Let me be a God pleaser. So there will come a time when the truth is rejected. Now, Jesus' description of that last day's church, the Laodicean church, is, is kind of vivid and it's sobering, and I want you to listen to it. He says here in Revelation 3, verses 14 through 19, to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, the amen and the faithful true witness, the origin of creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and I have become wealthy and I have no need of everything. Listen up, Western Church in America. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to apply to your eyes so that you may see those whom I love are rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Some powerful words Jesus speaks to the last day church who's confident in their riches and their materialism and feels like they've arrived spiritually and Jesus' estimation of them is shocking and sobering. It's like when he said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who thought they were the creme de la creme, the most spiritual people, he said, you brood of vipers, who told you to flee from the wrath that's to come? Wow, Jesus, tone it down a little bit. He never read that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Jesus saying the same thing to his church here. You're blind, you're wretched, you're naked. You know, you, you think you're all this, but you're not. You need to repent. That's his prescription there. You know, buy gold from me. Get some eye salve. You're blind as a bat. You, you need to invest yourself in things that are really spiritual treasures, not just treasures. So there will come a time when even the church doesn't want to hear the truth. And that last day's church described there in Revelation 3 is a sobering picture. So how should the church respond to people even within our ranks who totally reject the truth? And it's a relevant question because we're seeing it start to happen. There's churches who won't preach what's in here anymore. They preach a social gospel. They won't touch any issue that's controversial because they don't want to lose any you know, high-paying members. Just telling the truth in church this morning. What are we supposed to do? What's the church supposed to do? Should the church, its scholars, its apologists, its leaders, its teachers and pastors, just water it down? Come on, guys, just tone it down a little bit. You know, it's too strong. It's too old school. That's what I hear. Oh, it's all, you preach old school, hellfire and brimstone. Well, listen, if you don't preach about, Jesus took more about hell than he did about heaven. And I find it funny that people don't want to hear about hell are usually on their way there. And if I was going, I wish somebody would tell me. <laughs> so what are we to do? Tone it down, water it down. No. You know what? All right, pastor, preach the Bible. You know, you know, put some gusto into it. But don't touch those hot button issues. Don't touch those controversial topics. 
I remember a friend of mine got into a position at a church. He became the youth pastor, and the congregation told him, we don't want you talking about this to the youth, and we don't want you talking about that, and we don't want you to say that this lifestyle is wrong. We don't want you to preach against fornication. And he was like, yeah, it was about as quiet as it is now. I mean, like, well, what's left? Happy, clappy, you know, pablum, milk, Christianity? So what should we do? Should, should we skirt the controversial? Should we ignore unbiblical behaviors? I know it's going on out there, but I'm going to pretend like it's not. God help. God help people who sit under somebody like that. God help us to never be like that. Please, Lord, give us the courage to call sin, sin, and not to condone what your word condemns. Should we just adjust our belief system to our culture? The answer to all of these things I'm throwing out to you is no, 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 no. None of the above. Ask yourself, would a steady diet of lukewarm preaching that avoids the inconvenient truths ever provoke lukewarm people to repent? The answer is no. It's only preaching like this and, and preaching with the power of the Holy Spirit with signs, wonders, and demonstration and preaching the truth of God's word that will bring us to the place of repentance. What good is it if we're not coming to a place where we can repent? I'm glad I repented. I'm glad Jesus saved me. I'm glad I'm not an empty sepulcher up here this morning on my, on my way to hell just doing some religious service. And that's the difference. The difference is the truth. A steady diet of the lukewarm will not bring us to repentance. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, the precursor to that text that, you know, people don't want to hear the truth, is Paul telling us exactly what we need to do right now. Preach the word. Be instant in and out of season. What does that mean? Always be ready to defend the faith. Correct, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Please don't forget the last part. We need patience. We need to be teachers. We need to be loving, amen? You know, I can be harsh and I can, you know, I can be strong, but at the same time, I'm a lover, amen? Because I want to see people get saved. Some of you looking at me, I don't believe you. You're just, <laughs> my heart is for souls and my heart is for salvation. My heart is to bring people to a place of repentance so that they can know Jesus. We must continue to preach the truth of God's word in love. We must preach it with skill and passion and with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We must preach it until it brings conviction. If you've ever sat here and you felt convicted, praise God, what an awesome thing it is to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. If you sit in churches where you never feel convicted, get up, get out of there, and find some place that's preaching the anointed word of God. If you move, if you go to some area, you have to find a new church, don't sit in a church where you're never challenged, you're never stretched, you never feel any conviction, where there's never any altar calls, where there's never any salvations, where there's never any baptisms. That's a dead church preaching a compromised gospel. You say, well, how can you say that? Because the gospel and the word of God never return void. It always produces fruit. So we must do this. Why? Because God has mandated us to, and we do it until it brings conviction. Now listen, some people will respond to conviction and repent, and they'll get saved. And that's the best case scenario. 
Some people will attack the messenger and try to silence the message because they refuse the conviction. Jesus said to Paul when he laid on the floor on the road to Damascus, he said, oh, you kick against the pricks. What does that mean? Paul was resisting the conviction. And God had to knock him down on his butt to get his attention. God loves us enough to do that. So today, as we close this message down, gird up your loins, belt yourself at the waist with the truth of God. God is true. His Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. The word of God confirms what is true. It's the filter for our lives. Ignoring the truth, rejecting the truth, or believing in half-truths leave us unbelted, ungirded, awkward, clumsy, and vulnerable on the spiritual battlefield. Don't fight in a dress. Get the truth of God. Live the truth of God. Move in the truth of God. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I just thank you this morning for your word. Father, I'm excited about it. It's alive and it's powerful, and I'll always preach it with intensity. Father, I pray for these people here this morning that have heard truth. Holy Spirit, where you've put your finger on our lives where we need repentance, let us not walk away from this anointing without coming to the place of repentance so that we can have the truth and it will set us free. I pray it in Jesus' name and the church said, Amen. Give him praise this morning.